Hey guys, it's Justin. Quick announcement before we get into today's episode. Just want to let you know that in, in the weeks to come, we're going to have some exciting news about a partnership with First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications. Super excited about these two firms coming on board, sharing their expertise, and doing some really cool things to, to help us grow the show, make it better, and make the experience better for all of you. So stay tuned in the weeks to come. And uh, I'll get out of the way and turn you over to our episode with Kathy Cole. Enjoy. We can make the change. Yes. It's within our grasp. We can make the change. And can you imagine if everybody just helped one student a day? Yeah. Can you imagine? It'd be awesome. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. All right, welcome back. Thanks for tuning in this week. I am really excited to bring you this week's interview. I got the chance to catch up with Kathy Cole. Kathy recently joined the University of Montana as the Vice President of Enrollment and Strategic Communications. And gosh, we really need Kathy's help here. That's fairly clear. And she has just been such a breath of new energy and fresh air to this campus. Um, And that comes across pretty clearly in this interview today. We talk about her history, uh, her unique set of experiences that have prepared her well for this particular role in this particular time at the University of Montana. Her personal story is inspiring, and the approach uh, she has to her work is just so thoughtful, dedicated, and uh, I'm really excited for what lies ahead with Kathy, and I'm excited to share this interview uh, with her with you. So I will turn it over to Kathy Cole. All right, so we're here today with Kathy Cole. Kathy, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. And more importantly, welcome to UM. This is uh, fairly early on in your tenure. How many days or weeks have you been here now? <laughs> this is the end of my sixth week. Wow. Yep. Um, okay, so we'll get into all that, but just by way of education for the listeners, you are, are our new Vice President of Enrollment and Strategic Communications. Is that the full and accurate title? That's it. Yeah, that's a big title. That's a big title. Yeah, so um, gosh. Big job, big opportunity. What attracted you to University of Montana? What made you look at this place and think, wow, I can help out, and that's an attractive place for my next uh, my next step? Well, really, it was the challenge. Um, yeah. I, I looked at it. You know, whenever you're looking for a job, you kind of research the institution. And so I started to look at it, and I saw there were a lot of opportunities here to make a change and to really make a difference. Um, this is an excellent institution. There are a lot of wonderful top-notch programs here um and this but the story wasn't really being told um and i'm a journalist by trade Mm -hmm. what i do is storytelling and so i really thought there was an opportunity to take the story of the institution and tell it throughout the enrollment process and help students and their families understand what we what we have here um and so that attracted me to it and then when i when i um did my skype interview with the search committee I really learned who Montanans are, you know, very genuine, very kind, very caring. Even through the Skype interview that came across. It it really did. What sorts of things stood out? 
Um, you know, they, they all talked about students that they had known mm-hmm. and and how they, they personally helped a student through the process. And I thought, this is a group of people I want to be a part of. And then yeah. when I came to campus, I was here for two days, and literally every single person I met offered to help me in some way. They just wanted to know how to help. And I thought, okay, this is a job I can do. I mean, there's big there's big challenges here, but... If, if people are willing to help, we can do anything together. And yeah, so I yeah. wanted to be a part of that. Awesome. Yeah, there's this hunger for, I mean, it's like this latent hunger for change. And, yeah. and people, you know, in, in, in and we can get into the, the culture here, and I don't need to spend too much time on it. But one of the things that's intrigued me is there's there's at times I've been in meetings or, you know, in discussions with people, and I feel like there's this there's this inertia, like we almost can't get out of our own ways. And to have somebody come in like you that says, hey, we have a great story to tell, and here it is. And, you know, somebody like Seth to bring oh, fresh yeah. energy, and John, just this whole new leadership team, it seems like, you know, the fundamentals are here for you guys to, to then go out and do this great work that needs to be done. Absolutely. I mean, Seth is really a visionary leader. And I've, I've worked for, you can imagine, I've been doing this for a lot of years. Yeah. I'm old. Um I've worked for a lot of leaders, but Seth is an amazing leader. Every time he talks, I kind of get goosebumps because he he thinks of education in a different way. Yeah, and and so I I kid with him. Then I always just I want to follow him into battle, but um, I, I think he and John are the perfect balance, uh-huh. and and so I just want to do everything I can to get as many students possible here so that we can realize all of their dreams and, and really bring the university to the forefront. Yeah. So let's, uh, we'll get into some of that. Maybe mm-hmm. your ideas for how to do that, how to boost sure. enrollment and the message and all that, but let's go back by way of bio a little bit. And most recently in North, North Florida, yep. and then you did your undergrad in journalism, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So let's paint a picture of, of how you've kind of weaved your way through your career to, I mean, one of the things that stood out about you uh, in the in the hiring process, you were the only person with experience on kind of direct experience on both sides right. of the of the title, really the enrollment piece and the marketing communications piece. So maybe speak about like how you've made choices through through your career to put that experience together. Sure, it it, it yeah, I you know I didn't start out to do this because you don't play higher ed administrator when you're a kid and carry a briefcase around. But you know I started out as a journalist and and I really believe that was probably the best base that I could have for this career because I learned how to take very, very difficult topics and break them down so that people could understand them and and to be um, articulate in the way I speak and the way I write. So great basis for me. And I worked for a while as a, as a journalist and that was a lot of fun. But then I realized I was never home on weekends and I was never home on holidays. So right. I accepted a job in marketing and communications at Wichita State University in the admissions office. And I realized then that that was really where I wanted to be. I loved working with students. Sure. Um, and I really liked the whole process of helping students understand why this might be a good fit institution for them. Uh, and then I, my alma mater called, and I, wor- I went back to work at, my, my, um, at Eastern Michigan University, which is where I started. And I really kind of worked my way up. I was started there as the director of student media and and I had all the student publications underneath me and then I became the director of special events and then the director of marketing and the director of major events and just all these titles. We we went through the recession before the rest of the country did. Yep. And so we consolidated all these roles and it was 
it was a lot of fun. I learned a great deal, and I really thought I was going to retire at Eastern Michigan University until my husband came home and said, guess what? We're moving to Nashville. And so I we moved there, and I took a job at Middle Tennessee State University again um, on the enrollment side of the house. When I was at Eastern, my big my biggest client when I was marketing was enrollment, so I did a great deal of work helping to bring students to the institution, and most of my events were enrollment-focused. I also worked with probably the best enrollment person in the country, Courtney Mackinoff. He's now at uh, Rutgers and breaking every record they, they've had. Okay. Um, and I, I really learned a lot about enrollment over there, and I, and I learned a lot about marketing and communications there, and I learned really from the ground up um, at Eastern Michigan. When I went to Middle Tennessee, they didn't have anybody who'd ever done marketing and communications before, and they really didn't have anybody who'd done enrollment management. So I was really able to... St- start that at Middle Tennessee and I built a campaign that encompassed the whole of the institution and that changed the game at Middle Tennessee we were competing against UT on every front mm-hmm. and at, by the time I left there we were beating them on a couple so that was that was pretty good nice. like that um, and then this position opened up at UNF that I thought was pretty cool it was it was the director of university marketing sure. thought, University right, of North the, Florida University of North yep. Florida yep and I thought that was a great job, and I thought a great opportunity for me to grow my skills a little bit more. And so I did that for about four years and truly loved it because it was a different kind of avenue for me, and I worked very closely with athletics to help boost their brand. Um, they had never really had anyone who knew about marketing and knew about branding, and so I was able to pull that all under one umbrella. Um, and then we had a really... Um, pretty severe enrollment slump and so the president asked me if I could help and so he gave me both jobs director of university marketing and (laughs) director of enrollment marketing and I did both jobs for a while and then he said you know what I really need you to do just enrollment and so I did that and we were able to turn enrollment around, and we had some pretty pretty big wins Huge there. Huge increases. Yeah. I mean, you're talking like 30%, 40% year-over-year yeah. increases at a place that's already, you know, pretty pretty decent size in the twelve to 16,000 range, right? Yeah, we were doing okay, um, but, but we needed to do better and sure. because we had performance-based funding metrics there. So if um, you really got to earn your keep. Yeah. Um, but the the great thing we did there was we also maintained academic quality. Our students coming in had a 4.3 GPA, 1380 on the SAT. I mean, those are Ivy League scores. Yeah. So we were competing. Our kids could go anywhere. And to get them to come to the University of North Florida sometimes was we really had to make it worth their while. And so marketing and communications really came into play there. We had to tell them why this was an this was the institution for them, and we really had to t- we had to make sure we were finding our best fit student. Mm-hmm. So I learned a lot there about data um, analytics and predictive analytics, and so that 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 has been really key in what I'm doing here. Um, we're bringing that to the forefront um, at the University of Montana. Yeah. So what's that process of figuring out the best fit student? I mean, we talk about it here in the business school in terms of product market fit, and that's exactly what we're trying to think about with students. Is you know what is what is that notion mean of best fit student and how do you actually pinpoint that uh, given the data systems that you're probably trying to develop here right we're building as, as i say we're building the plane as we're trying to land it um we want we want to figure out the student that not only 
we want to recruit, but we want to retain. It doesn't do us any good if we recruit the student and they don't stay with us. So we're looking at students um, as far downstream um, as, you know, eighth and ninth grade to see what classes they're taking, what their GPAs are, what scores they're getting on the PSAT, what scores they're getting on the ACT, SAT, depending on what they take, um, depend, seeing what kind of extracurriculars they're a part of. Sure. Not just sports, but other, you know, are they are they working in labs as, as a high school student? Anything that we can look at and becomes a data point for us to see then what that translate to translates to when they get to the University of Montana and if they're successful here. So we're looking at all of that data and building it out as we go. We haven't really kept that kind of data. Right, right. So you got to build the so architecture we, yeah, before yeah, you fill it in. Yeah, yeah. we're building it. Um, and we're also working with an outside firm to kind of help us build that that data as we go. Right. Um, and, and to do some market research for us, too, to help us really figure that out that will level the playing field and allow us to really get out and recruit the right student yeah and you know one thing that uh you know we have had a restructuring here at the leadership level on a variety of dimensions but one thing that seth did last spring was to you know basically form your office Mm -hmm. marry enrollment with marketing and communications and And the argument there was this is the you know this aligns us best for success on these dimensions. So can you maybe talk about uh, for folks maybe not so familiar with with organizational dynamics? Why is it important to have those two roles in the same shop? Well, sure. Um, or two functions, I guess. Right. Um, so what what you really want in in my area is someone who not only understands kind of the science of enrollment management and an understanding kind of the data analytics and the predictive analytics behind who you want to enroll and and the best fit student, but you want to have someone who understands the art of marketing and communications so that you're getting the right message out. I tell everybody um, I need to be able to understand how to get the right message at the right time to the right audience through the right channel. And there's an art to being able to do that. So Seth was a genius in putting the two roles together because I can then manage both sides of the house, really, Um, figuring out who my best student is and then figuring out how to communicate that and then also figuring out how to to market to that student's parents, Um, all the his influencers, guidance counselors, teachers, um, Boy Scout leaders, anybody that influences that student I want to be able to talk to. But I also want to be able to talk to, so, you know, I'm talking about high school students right now, but also graduate students, non-traditional students, um, the stay-at-home mom who doesn't think she can get back to school. I want to be talking to her as well. So you've got to have somebody who understands marketing in this role to be able to make sure that you're you're reaching all of the enrollment markets that you can. Yeah, and and as you're sort of laying that out there, I'm thinking of, you know, from my view as a marketing professor, thinking of customer segments and marketing strategy and all these other things that we think about. But one thing is still sticking with me. I mean, at Northern Florida, you said that you were attracting students that that had the academic chops to be applying to and getting into Ivy League schools. Sure. And so not only are you improving enrollment substantially at that institution, but you're also attracting a stronger cadre of students how 
how did you do that? Like, you know, get into the nuts and bolts. And let us, like you talked about this, the science of enrollment. Like, give us a little preview as to what the mechanics of that that is. So, I had to look at what differentiated UNF yeah. from the other schools, and what differentiated us was um, having full professors in the classroom teaching the, the students. Hmm, that sounds ma- familiar. Yeah, I know, right? It it made a difference that. These students were going to be able to to be taught by professors who would also mentor and coach them. They could do undergraduate research. Also sounds kind of familiar. Yeah. Um, they were able to do hands-on learning. They were able to go study abroad. They were able to they they were able to engage fully in their academic experience, which they may not have been able to do at an Ivy League. You know, they were going to be in massive lecture halls with six hundred oh, other yeah, students. Oh yeah, I know yeah. that world well. Yes, you do. <laughs> and 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 it. UNF, we had classes of 25. It, it, it's it's an incredibly different academic experience. Um, we also talked to them about, you know, the ability to have an outcome after they could they would graduate from our institution and they would be able to move into the graduate school of their choice. Really, they would or they could have a career of their choice and they could be very successful. So we worked with our alumni to do that. But that was how we did it. Um, And then I took it a step further, and I marketed the program to the Mm. students. So if a student told me they were interested in marketing, they had uh, a marketing campaign that was aimed right at them through the lens of marketing. So they got a letter from their dean, a letter from from the chair of the department, from a faculty member, from a current student, from an alum who had this great outcome. And then when they came to campus for a tour, it was done by a marketing student. I mean same regular campus tour we had, but through the lens of a marketing student. So that's an incredible experience for a student. You probably know by now that this podcast is produced out of the College of Business here at the University of Montana. But what you might not know is that the college is about to celebrate its 100th anniversary. That's right. Coming up on September 21st and 22nd, we are going to launch a series of centennial celebration events. It's going to be a great party, and I encourage you to get involved. If you're interested in more information, check out business.umt.edu slash centennial. It's going to be an awesome time, and I hope to see you there. You don't get this generic view book, and you don't get a generic postcard. You get one that's tailored to your major. And that was a game changer for us. You know, and it also didn't help that then we had a series of postcards that went out in January that said, you know, you with a pair of flip-flops in the sand that said you can wear flip-flops here in February without socks. You know, that didn't hurt us, but, you know, we had a little bit of fun with them too. But it was the targeted marketing that helped them understand how their life would change by coming to UNF. Yeah, targeted marketing. So speak a little bit about that. I mean, one of the the sort of, you know, spend enough time around this town and you hear people say like, hey, you know, my son is getting 15 postcards from MSU a week and, you know, 27 uh, emails from this place, you know, every other month or whatever it is, right? Right. Just getting bombarded with paper from other institutions. And, you know, you've said, I've heard you say like, we're going to do things differently. We're going to be creative. And what does that kind of mean in terms of as you're putting together a communications plan with the resources we have available? Right. Well, so resources are they are what they are here. And yeah. So we're going to work it within our means. Um, and as I said earlier, it's the right message at the right time to the right audience through the right channel. Um, I, 
there will be some pieces that we send, as I say, to the kitchen table. Yep. Um, we do want some postcards to land there because we want mom and dad to see them too, and we want the student to see how beautiful this campus is. But then I also want some, some pieces to go to their phones or to their screens because I want the students to be able to be comfortable with receiving that message, and that's where they are. Yep. We know this. Yep. Um, I have a lot of teenagers. I know where they are. Um, but what... What I want to do is build a marketing and communications campaign that reaches the audience where they feel most comfortable and where Mm -hmm. the message will be most appropriate. And as I'm working that out, as I have the data, um, things are changing. Uh, You know, even from yesterday, I was looking at my my campaign, and I've already changed a couple things today. But there's going to be a variety of message in it messages through a variety of channels you're going to see some tv you're going to see some radio uh, or hear some radio um and and the students are going to get the appropriate messages at the appropriate time um we we may not have as many pieces that hit the kitchen table sure but they're going to get the right message yeah and at an appropriate time um and i think it's going to be it's going to change us and it's going to change the way students perceive the institution and and I believe that that will be a differentiating factor for us yeah so you know let's let's maybe get into that a little bit like one thing that I've felt and and part of this podcast project is to maybe look into this is just hey how can we tell stories better here right tell stories about the great things happening Uh, when something goes wrong how can we address it with more positive storytelling Mm -hmm. you know if you look at you know from what you've seen before you took the helm here and then in your six weeks on the job like what are some of those stories that you want to tell and and what are the attributes of the broader narrative that you want to that you want to get out there with regard to University of Montana so I think we need to tell the story um uh, about the education that students will get and I need to and I think we need to tell it through our students faculty and our alum Uh, that though when you can tell a story that comes from the heart of someone, you're changing lives. And I think that's how we need to tell the story. Students who come here, and, and, and if anybody's heard Seth Bodner talk, they've heard him talk about how we are preparing students not only for their first job, but their fifth job and their last job. Yep. And we have students who can tell that story right now. We have faculty members who are, are so passionate about what they're doing and, and, and how they're helping students and how they're preparing them for these incredible outcomes that that's, that's the kind of storytelling we want out there. And then alumni who just have had these incredible careers and are still having these incredible careers. And, and, and not just Eric Sprunk, who's at Nike, but, but folks who are here right, right here in Missoula who've had yeah. these. Like Eric's a great story, but it's a little... A little inaccessible for for some people. Yeah, for some people. But we have we have folks right here yeah. whose lives have been changed by the education they've had here. So that's the storytelling we need to have. Um, we're going to be telling stories on our tours from now on. Mm. We're going to be telling stories when we meet with students out in the high schools. That's the way we can get the message out about the education students are going to receive here. Yeah. So speak a little bit about the price variable in all of this. I mean, we, we heard, we've heard a lot in the past about, you know, enrollment comes down to price and competing on price. And, you know, when I hear that as a marketing professor, I think, wow, that's actually 
not where you want to compete. I mean, if you're yeah. competing on price, then you're sort of in a race to a commodity product, or you're, you're conceding that your product is a commodity. Right. So can you talk about the, the price variable and how that kind of enters into your thinking? If at all, really. Yeah, well, <laughs> of course it does. Um, so that's an area that I, I'm, I'm working on and through with yeah. my staff. Um, I, I, you're right. I don't want that to be the deciding factor for anybody. Um, and so I've, I've been working with my staff to make that not be the deciding factor. If that is the deciding factor, we're having we're, we need to be having a different conversation. Sure. Um, so we're looking at how we're talking about our price point and how we're talking about our scholarshiping and things like that. Um, I, you know, this is an incredible institution and it has an incredible value. The education that our students get is really priceless. Yeah, and we, as an institution, need to f- need to make sure that we're helping students invest in that, and that's where we're getting to. I mean, it's a tricky issue because college is an exp- is a is a huge investment for it many is. families. Yet the investment, uh, the level of investment you have to make at the University of Montana is is quite small relative to other institutions particular particularly within this region so it is is. and 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 our to to be honest our in-state tuition i mean our out-of-state tuition is is quite a bit less than a lot of our neighboring states it's cheaper than university of washington in-state right and and so the value is incredible really when you think about it and the life and the lifelong returns you get on mm-hmm. that investment. And so it's helping reframe that conversation, I think. And, and we do make a substantial investment in most of our students' education. Yeah. We really do. Um, and, and so we're, we're talking through that. And sure. we're helping students understand that and their families understand that. And, you know, our students do carry the, uh, the least amount of debt in the area. Um, and we have the lowest default rate in the area on student debt. And we're pretty proud of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes me think about, you know, your background. You were a first generation college student, correct? I am. And just the story you told in your interview about, I can't remember the woman's name, but the financial aid. Judy Benfield Tatum. Yep. So tell us, I mean, because that's a huge part of our, uh, you know, of our constituency here. We have a ton of first generation college students and it's one, it's just for me, like so fulfilling to be a part of that process. Oh, and yeah. particularly you go to graduation and you see these families I that know. are just like transformed by this experience. Oh, yeah. And can you speak a little bit about that? Because you bring a real personal lens to, you know, what we're trying to do with a lot of our students here. Yeah, I mean, I was, um, I'll never forget this. I was about a week two weeks before school started um, for me at Eastern Michigan University, and I had driven up to the financial aid office all by myself. My dad was very ill. He'd been self-employed, and so there was no insurance. There was no income coming into the office. My mom was working at a Hallmark for three fifteen an hour. I was paying my parents' mortgage on my lifeguarding job. Wow. And um, I was standing in line and I, 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 in financial aid, and I'd already been in up to the counter and they weren't really helpful and and I was just in tears I just didn't know what to do and a door to the side of me opened and a woman came out and I and I learned later on that that was the escape hatch for the financial aid folks to get out so they didn't have to come through the big lines 
And this woman stopped and said, um, can I help you? And, and I said, yeah, I, I don't know how to do this. And, and she stopped and took me right back to her office and she helped me fill out my financial aid form. And she, I mean, it took a while. It was a long time. And, and, you know, she asked me how I was doing and what I needed. And she really shepherded me through the process. And she helped me with a number of other things that day as well. And it turned out she was the director of financial aid. And her name is Judy Benfield Tatum. And about a week later, I stopped back by with some um, baked goods for her to thank her mm-hmm. and, and a thank you note because I'm a good Catholic and my mom taught me how to do sure, that. Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she was ready to help me with a few other things too and every year she helped me with my FAFSA filling it out and she actually um she taught me a lot of things at college I I mean a number of things she helped me through and and I was the editor-in-chief of my college newspaper and so we had a professional relationship as well and I babysat her kids and when my grandma died she was the they called the school to tell them and she was the one who came to break the news to me and we were just really close and and um I I really wouldn't have graduated I mean I would not have gone to college if it weren't for her because that day I was so scared and overwhelmed and there was no one to help me my mom and dad didn't know what to do they they hadn't gone to college yeah it was foreign to them yeah they didn't graduate from high school and it was it was terrifying and Mm -hmm. she just recognized it and she helped me she stopped what she was doing and she helped me and at graduation, she made, arranged it so she could give me my diploma, and we were bawling. And <laughs> um, still to this day, I every time something good happens in my life, I wrote her, write her a thank you note yeah. because I wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for her. So, you know, in those stories, I mean, that's an uncommon story, but it's it's I think it's more common than you think. These sort of uh, you know random acts of bureaucratic kindness, right. if you will, right? <laughs> Like it, it's 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 hugely fulfilling for for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. You know, for for Judy, it must have just been so heartwarming to really transform oh. somebody's life, to open yeah. up a door. I mean, it's more than just that escape hatch. But you know, how do we kind of, you know, and this maybe isn't necessarily part of your role, but I think about like how do you institutionalize that kind of culture? Like my my wife, for example, she used to work at a medical center. And one of the policies they had was if you ever see somebody who looks like they don't know where they're going, you help them. Yep. doesn't matter if you're late to a meeting with a CEO. You help that person. And so th- things like that become norms of an institution. There's so many people here that I think are more than willing and do a lot of the things that, yep. you, know, that, that you talked about with Judy. But it doesn't feel like it's quite yet part of the fabric of the way we operate. So um, I, I'm a big believer in um, Disney Walt Disney's yeah, um, yeah. business practices, they're incredible. And I've been to many of the Disney Institutes. So I've graduated from many of them. I have my graduation years. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm pretty proud of it because those are hard courses. And yeah. you really can't pass them if you don't do the work. But in one of them, um, Disney's Quality Service, they talk about um, the number of custodians that they hire. And so Disney has... 50,000 employees at the resorts in, on 500 square acres. Wow. So how many custodians do, they, do you think that they have for 50,000 employees on 500 square acres? Gosh, I'm guessing it's going to be low because everybody pitches in or something like that. It, it, yeah, so they have 5 they have 50,000. 
because 50, every, everybody's everybody, a everybody, everybody is yeah. supposed to pick up yeah. Yeah. trash and everyone there is also a photographer because if you mm. see mom and dad struggling to take a picture of the yeah, family you out. stop in and you can i take that picture mom go get in the picture sure so i think so i'm going to be going around to every office on campus and i'm going to be talking to them talking to them about branding and becoming a brand ambassador yep. and one of the things i'm going to talk about is just what you mentioned is spreading the culture of caring if you see someone lost on campus cuz you know we all see them with their phones and they're looking down and they're doing this and they're you know they look lost we'll stop and say hey can i May I help you find something? And then we walk them there. And I think if we create that culture and you're 10 minutes late to a meeting and you're like, oh, I just walked a family over to the UC, that's totally acceptable. Great. Thank you for doing that. Absolutely. Or I walked somebody to financial aid or, you know, a student didn't have enough money for a meal. I bought them lunch. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, that's we need to get to that level because it matters. So many of our students are first gen or or even second gen, but they're still they're still struggling. Yeah, and and it, who knows if we're we're the one that makes that difference that keeps them on campus. Yeah, and that perspective is is pretty powerful. Just hearing you say, it, I mean, I've been thinking about this, but like we get caught in a lot of negativity. In, in, we've been struggling for a number of years, sure. and there's a lot of bad news and budget cuts and blah blah blah. And you know, a lot of people think, hey, this isn't the job I signed up for, but same time it's exactly the job you signed up for the students are still here and there's there's great students here and there's great colleagues and there's great work being done so yeah hearing that is is refreshing like we got to kind of get out of our own way a little bit right right and and we can make the change yes it's within our grasp we can make the change and can you imagine if we're just if everybody just helped one student a day yeah can you it'd be awesome Mm-hmm. It'd be awesome. At my at UNF, um, at the beginning of every semester, I gave every groundskeeper um, a fanny pack. You know, very unattractive, but still. Um, and in it, it had campus maps, and it had Band-Aids, and right. it had wet wipes, and, and just, you know, all the little things you don't think about that you might need if yep. you're on campus. Yep. But generally, the groundskeepers are the first people a family sees when they're on campus. And they're easy to approach because they're out there. And so... I always went and spoke to them right before school started and gave them all their fanny They were really ugly, but gave them their fanny packs and then told them, you know, I charged them with being our official campus greeters. Uh-huh. Please. You're you know, the front lines. Yeah, you're the front lines. Here's all the stuff you're going to need. Stop. Help them. And, and the um, director of the physical plant and his vice president were totally supportive that they could stop what they were doing and help a family and walk them someplace or get them in a golf cart and take them someplace but and then they had stuff to help families too if they needed a band-aid or some um, sunscreen we had you know single single use sure. of all of that but then you see your work as part of a broader mission yep right and you right. all have a role to play in that mission that's right. hugely powerful right yeah. and, and and the groundskeepers said for the you know i started doing that probably six or seven years ago uh-huh. and you know they, they said that's the first time they felt like they were part of the rest of campus yeah yeah, now so. they're working for you know working for a university, not just mowing lawns at a university. Right. right. Yeah. So, pretty cool. Awesome. Well, Kathy, I want to be respectful of your time. You have like a hundred meetings a day, <laughs> but I, I feel like I'd be a little remiss if I let you out of here without asking about these books you've read. Oh like, yeah. What's, what's your obsession with the haunted campuses and ghost stories? Zero. And, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Zero. So you've written a couple books, though, nonfiction books about ghost stories on campuses, right? I have. Um, so that really came about because 
my sports editor, uh, a good a good friend of mine, uh, we just weren't seeing each other very often. We and it was a way for us to do a project together. Okay. And so we did it. It was super fun. So we did creepy colleges and haunted universities, and you know I get an eleven cent a year um, royalty check from that nice. one. So you yeah. Know, there's retirement right yeah, there. Yeah, it's right there, man. I don't I, I, I don't cash them because um, I think it would cost me more to cash it. Right. But, and then we did Haunted Florida, which is really a travel log of Florida. So if you want to eat with a ghost, we have restaurants. If you want to sleep with a ghost, there's um, hotels. Sure. It was, it's really kind of fun. And then we did True Crime Florida, which, was, it, which absolutely freaked me out because – like Danny Rowling and and uh, Ted Bundy are in there, oh, and then yeah. and then Adam Walsh was unfortunately was the small child who got kidnapped from Pembroke Pines. Uh-huh. It was that was a that was a tough one to write, and that actually ended my nonfiction writing career because you were done. Yeah, after it was that. done. Yeah, yeah, it was done. That was a tough one, but there 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 may be an, a, a couple of fiction books coming out soon. Yeah, okay. interesting. Yeah, and so. You know, as we close, you're here in advance of your family of you five children, so you got a tribe that's sort of on their way at some point. Um, yeah, well, only two are coming. Oh, my, okay, my, some my, students my, are out of the nest. Oh, yeah, we've got four that are gone. Uh, my husband and my youngest daughter are actually today on their way, they awesome. just started driving yeah. today, so 2,544 miles. Well, hopefully, you know, in the near future, you guys will carve out time to get outside and sort of take in all the awesomeness that this state has to offer, because I think that's a huge part of the story we can tell here. Yeah, totally, totally. Well, Kathy, it's great to have you here. Thanks Thanks. for coming on the podcast, and uh, we're just really excited for what lies ahead. I can't wait. Thanks. All right. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Kathy as much as I did. Really excited to see what Kathy and her team come up with in the next, uh, well, in the near term and in the long term to uh, to really grow what's happening here at the University of Montana and get our message out there. Okay. Coming up ne- next week, we have good friend Jeff Petticord, friend of the pod. He is chief marketing officer and uh, brand strategist over at First Security Bank. He also runs a sort of guerrilla marketing organization called brand camp and jeff has just been a tremendous supporter of a lot of things we do here at the college of business and has such an awesome fresh perspective on marketing and a really cool personal story so look forward to next week with jeff see you then thanks for listening to a new angle we really appreciate it and remember that this podcast was brought to you by ced consolidated electrical distributors they're one of the largest electrical wholesale supply companies in the world with nearly 600 locations CED is a privately owned business-to-business company that distributes just about every piece of equipment you need to keep your lights on, your energy flowing, and your lifestyle comfortable. CED is also an important employer in our community, and they have a keen interest in University of Montana graduates. To explore career opportunities, check out cedcareers.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, there are several ways you can support it. First, rate us on iTunes. Ratings help others find the podcast. Second, write a review. The more reviews we get, and hopefully positive ones, the more we can grow. Third, just tell your friends about it. Before we go, I'd like to thank a few folks for making this project happen. First off, thanks to Elizabeth Willie, Communications Director here at the University of Montana College of Business. And thanks to our fabulous interns, Savannah Slutton and Max Gibson. I'd also like to give a special shout-out to VTO for providing us with music. And finally, thanks to my producer, Jeff Meese. 
As we close, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word, and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.